Second Kings chapter number four, please. Second Kings chapter number four. Uh, here's a simple message I believe will bless you. Um, and pastor has not heard this one, but he heard the sequel to it. And you can be thankful I'm preaching this one instead of the one he originally heard because two things. Number one, it, fo it, it follows the exact same subject all the way through. And number two, the other one is much longer than this one. Yeah, much longer than this one. And so you'll be, you'll be thankful that I, I preach this one. I'm open to 2 Kings chapter number 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 8. I hate to discomfort you at the beginning of the message, but would you stand up, everybody? It's time to read the Word of God and get into the Bible. Amen. 2 Kings chapter number 4 and verse number 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and, he constrained, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Now Elisha's coming through with his servant, and as he comes through, here's a wonderful and kindly lady, a Shunammite woman, who wanted to entertain him. And after a while, she, I'm going to paraphrase a little of this to get down to where I'm going to be. Um, after a little while, she asked her husband, I perceive that this is great man of God that passeth by us continually. Uh, let us make a little chamber for him. Let's have a prophet's chamber. And, and let's put in there a bed and a table and a candlestick and a stool so that as oft as he pass this way, uh, we, he'll have a place to stay. And her husband agreed and so that's what they did. And so now Elisha would come by and as he come by he would, uh, as he came by with his servant, they would have a lodging place. Well one day Elijah said to his servant, you know, this woman has been careful for us with all of this care. What has been done to her? What, ha what have we done to repay her? And the servant said, nothing. He said, well, uh, go find out what she would like. And the servant went and said, look, this is your opportunity. I mean, would you be spoken of to the king? You want to get a promotion? You want, man, you want to get out of this little shack of a house and go up, up on that big house on here? Oh, no, I dwell among my own, but don't take me away from, I love who I am. I love where I am. I love my husband. I love my family. I just, I love it here. So anyway, uh, the servant went back and told Elijah, said, nothing we can do. He said, well, is there anything? He said, well, I happen to know she's never had a baby. He said, go call her. And she came, and he said, according to the time of life, you're going to have a child. Oh, do not lie to thy handmaid. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. That was years past. I, oh, I had a dream, and so long I wanted a little one, and I prayed earnestly. But no, no, I'm way past that. That's all a thing of history, man of God. No, according to the time of life, you're going to have a child. And believe it or not, miracle of ages, just like, uh, just like John the Baptist was born, and just like others that God's worked miracles for. According to the time of life, she gave birth to a little boy. Little fella, obviously, from the, from the, the statements of Scripture, obviously was a wonderful little fella. And he grew up, and he was about grown. He was out with his father in the field. Now, I'm, I'm narrating some of this for you here for the sake of time. And while he was working with his father in the field, he said, my head, my head, probably a stroke, probably an aneurysm, prob most likely. And his dad said, get him to his mother quick as you can. So they rushed him to his mother. And by the time they brought him in, I can see he's listless. And uh, they just laid him on. And she, he, he just laid back on his mother like this and laid there till noon. And at noon, he died. 
And I want you to notice here, verse 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And in verse 22 through 24, she asked her husband for permission to have a servant saddle an ass and take her to the man of God. And when she came to the man of God, according to verse number 26, he said to his servant, Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered those three immortal words, It is well. Now, she still had questions. In verse 28, she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Am I the one that brought this up? Is this some kind of joke? She still had questions. She was still in a state of confusion. This was not my idea, man of God. This was your idea. You, you said I would have a child, and I did have it. I've been so blessed. And the child grew up only to die? Is this some kind of joke? What is going on? She still had questions. She still had confusions. But amidst it all and underneath it all, she could say, it is well. Peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, God hath taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my... How in this world could she say that? She was made out of the same kind of stuff all the rest of you women are made out of here. How could she say that with a dead child? How could she say it? Because of one little phrase I'm going to preach to you tonight. Verse number 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door upon him and went out. There's a whole lot more involved here than closing a door. Didn't say she shut the door. Said she shut the door upon him. And in that act of faith, she's saying, I got him laying on the bed of the man of God. I don't know whether you'll ever live again. I know that God worked a miracle through the prayers of the man of God and gave him the first time. And I believe God in heaven that gave him the first time can raise him from the dead. And that may happen or that may not happen. But one thing about it, that man of God will have to do something about that boy before he gets any sleep. Amen. And Elisha in the Bible is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word type don't mean kind of. It means a parallel to. It's a picture of. And she ran to the man of God like we would run to Jesus. And she laid that child on the bed of the man of God and saying, and by that she was saying, I may never see him again. And I'm not dictating to God what he's got to do. And you, you, you don't do that. You can pray for things. And, but, but I'm going to pray until the man of God does something about that child. And it's a wonderful thing when we come to the Lord and bring a burden to him and say, dear Lord, well, I'm not telling you what you got to do. I'm just telling you, I'm not leaving until I get some kind of a burden lifted till that something happens that oh God something happens and relieve me of this pressure I, I've got to bring it to the man of God but why could she say hold his well for one reason she had shut the door and I'm all over this room tonight I'm speaking to people all in the balcony and all down here I have no idea who the preacher never talked to me about nothing in this world or nobody in this auditorium but I'm here to tell you there's people all over this room who need to shut the door 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 I bring you a message tonight entitled would you please shut the door let's bow our heads in prayer
Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, I feel a draft tonight. Oh, I feel a draft. Somebody's left a door open somewhere. And dear Lord Jesus, there's all kinds of bad consequences to that. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will bless us now as we bring this message. And I pray when the service is over, people will realize doors they've left open. And that by faith, they'll come and drop down on an altar and slam a door shut and say, Hey, I still don't understand it. And I may still cry. And I may still have a broken heart. And I may still wrestle with all kinds of feelings. But it's okay now because I've shut the door. I've shut the door. I've shut the door. Heavenly Father, I pray it'll happen all over the room. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Number one, without any further ado, number one, we need to shut the door on some horrible things that we have done. I had a lady in my church, and she was there for years, raised her family there. And, Pastor, you cannot build a church without some good men, but you cannot build a church without some good women. Amen. And this was the kind of woman every pastor needed. Never sang a song in the pulpit. Matter of fact, she never sang in the choir. But you're talking about a woman who behind the scenes had a servant heart. Anytime there was a funeral, she was right there. Anytime there was a wedding, she was jumping in and helping the little bride-to-be. Anytime there was a meal, she'd bring more of uh, the food than anybody else. And if you wanted to put somebody in charge of it, you could put her in charge of it. It'd be done. It'd be done right. And it'd be done without upsetting any of the other ladies. And that's a big order. Say amen right there. But I'm just saying, this is the kind of woman that... And listen, she was in my church for years. I'm talking about a no flair, no, no flaunter, no, just a sweet and plain servant of God and for years and after years of serving the Lord. One day she said, Pastor, I got to talk to you. I said, all right. Went aside and she looked at me. She said, Preacher, I've never told anybody this. But she said, years ago, I murdered my little unborn baby. I had an abortion. And I'm telling you, that thing came flooding out of her as though it was something that had happened the night before. This woman had been saved since then. This woman had asked God a thousand times to forgive her since then. But underneath her smiles and underneath her service and underneath her kindness and underneath all that she was doing, she was dragging this mess along and dragging it along and dragging it along. We couldn't see it. Nobody could see it. But it was there. It was there all the time. Oh, God had saved her and God had forgiven her, but she still some way, somehow kept hating herself and bringing it up and bringing it up and she'd drag it along and drag it along and drag it along. She said, Preacher, they're not telling the truth to these girls and women about abortion. She said it was a large abortion clinic. And she said, when they rolled me out after they had taken my little baby, she said, was laying there, and she said, I could hear other girls or ladies in the room. They had had an abortion too. And she said, Preacher, they were all crying. And she said, I could hear a girl behind me saying, I killed my baby. I mean, she just done it. She said, I was crying. She said, I've killed my little baby. I've killed they're not She said, they're not telling the truth, preacher, about it. A lady told me that they had an abortion. She said, it's been a long time since that little baby died in my womb. But she said, you know, she said, I, I wake up, still wake up 2 o'clock in the morning. And she said, I think I can hear my baby. And I think I'm actually hearing my baby. 
And she said, I get out of bed and said, I don't realize it's in my dream. And said, I'm walking through the house looking for my baby. And I'm opening closet doors and my baby keeps crying louder and louder. And I can't find my baby. And she said, finally, I get to end up on the front porch. And there's a hedge out there along beside the driveway. And I look and I see my baby in the hedge. And my baby's reaching out to me and crying. And she said, I'm reaching, bending over the rail trying to get to my baby. They're not telling the truth to these women and girls. They're not telling the truth about the suicide rate. They're not telling the truth about the nervous breakdowns. They're not telling the truth about the trouble that comes in the marriage later on because of it. Hey! But I had to, listen, I told that woman, I had the joy of telling that woman, hey, it's high time we got the door shut. Shut the door! Shut the door! You cannot unscramble an egg. You cannot go back and change anything in the past. That which is in the past is gone and dead. Just lay it on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon it. I love that verse in Isaiah 43 verse 25. I even high am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, God said, and will not remember thy sins anymore. He said, I didn't just forgive it. He said, I blotted it out. I removed the evidence. I took it all away. Don't you love that? Don't, aren't you glad that he took the evidence away? And he said this, uh, and he said, I, I blotted out thy transgressions for my own sake. Talking about him. I said, whoa. Now, Lord, I can understand why you did it for my sake. But you said you did it for your sake? No, Lord. Here's what the Lord showed me. He said, yeah, Lord said, I did it for my sake. I said, well, Lord, why did you, why did you do it for your sake? And the Lord said, I did it for my sake because I'm forgiving you. And I'm taking the sin away in the evidence. And when I, the reason I blotted it out, when I look down at you, I want to love you as though that never happened in your life. And I want to use you as though that never happened in your life. And I want, to, I want to fill you with my love and with my joy so you can be a blessing to others as though you never in your lifetime ever committed such a wicked, vile, atrocious sin. Hey, he said, I'm blotting it away for my own sake. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Something horrible that you've done. I have a preacher friend who was preaching at a large youth conference. There was a girl there who was a Bible college student in a college you would know. It wasn't this college. It was the one you'd know. And this girl's mother was dying with cancer. She had gone home three times to witness to her mother. And each time, the devil talked her out of it. The hardest people in the world to witness to is your own family. And, but she said, Mama's got some time, and I'm going to witness to Mama. And I think I can win her to God. But before she could get back the last time, she got a shocking telephone call. said, Honey, your mother just passed away. And that had been three or four years. She'd been dragging that along and dragging it along, hating herself and oh, so guilty because of it. And uh, saved, but dragging it along, not shutting the door. And in the middle of this youth conference, that girl jumped up in the middle of the sermon, scared everybody to death and said, I let my mother go to hell. I let my mother go to hell. It's an awful thing when you let your mother go to hell. But there's a lot of other mothers who haven't gone to hell yet. There's a lot of people that you can reach. You, you cannot unscramble an egg. All you can do is ask God to forgive you and just shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Uh, a woman came up to me. I was preaching in a New England state. And she said, Pastor Brown, I married the wrong man. I said, well, you may have married the wrong man, but you're now married to the right man. That's for sure. 
That's for sure. A fellow came up, I was preaching this sermon within the last year, and a man came up to me and he said, <coughs> Pastor Brown, I'm a public school bus driver. He said, I ran over a little girl and killed her. And the man was the man was eating up. He was eating up with regret and sorrow. And he, he couldn't get over the scene and he couldn't get over it. And I had the joy of telling him, thank God we can shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. We need to shut the door on some horrible things we've done. We need to shut the door on some... Are you ready for this one? We need to shut the door on some horrible things people have done to you. Amen to you. I was preaching in Ohio. And I wouldn't preach this sermon. I was preaching another sermon, great church, 500 that morning, and people, the former governor was there, and all kinds of wonderful things happened. People getting saved, and the altar's full, and um, they dismissed service. And the pastor was greeting people. He was going to take me out to eat, and he was greeting people, and I was tired. I'd preached like a wild man, and I was tired. And I was sitting on the front by where these people are sitting here, and I was the only one sitting on the front pew, and, uh, and most people had gone, and all of a sudden, a man walked up uh, with his sister, uh, and introduced her. This is my sister and gave her name. I said, ma'am, glad to meet you. He said uh, she had lived with him and they only lived a few minutes from the church. He said, we were almost home and my sister turned to me and said, I can't go home. He said, what? I can't go home. I got to talk to that preacher. I got to tell him something I've never talked about before. So he said, I told her, you want to go back and talk to the preacher? We'll go back and talk to the preacher. The woman was 61 years old. She came, and there, so there she stood. I said, sure, yes, ma'am, sit down right here. She sat down. Her brother sat down beside of her. I said, tell me a story. She said, when I was a child, I was molested by a stepfather. I said, how old were you? She said, from age 10 to 20. I said, 20? Couldn't you do anything about that? She said, you don't know what it's like to live in fear. She said, I was 38 years old before I got married because of it. And then she said, I married a man that ended up to be a drunk. But then the joyful moment in my life, when the first time in my life I had some hope, they told me I was going to have a little baby. And she said, oh, for the first time in my life, I have somebody that will love me without hurting me. For the first time in my life, I have somebody I can love safely. She said, never loved anybody that didn't betray me. And she said, for the first time in my life, I can have hope in somebody to love, somebody to love me that will not hurt me. And then she said, one night he got drunk, kicked me and killed the baby. And she said, all my life I felt like a worthless piece of filth. I had the joy of telling that woman there is a bomb in Gilead. Thank God there is. I had the, I had the privilege of telling that woman that, uh, something she'd never thought about. I said, lady, if you had any idea how many women and girls there are in this world who've gone through what you've gone through that you could help, that you could talk to, and they will not listen to me because they know I don't have a clue what it's like to go through something like that. If you only knew, if you only knew what a ministry you could have, if you only knew what a blessing you could be to win women and girls, and I gave her some hope to shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. Shut the door on some horrible things people have done to you. 
I had a fellow in my church, one of the Lord, he's in his 70s. Never, never got married. That was the saddest looking mortal I've ever looked at. He had a, he had a face as long as a mule eating sawbriars. I've never seen anything like it. He just sat like this. Bong face. I tried to cheer him up. He was faithful to church. I tried to cheer him up, lived alone. I said, uh, Simon, you never got married, did you? Nope. I said, so you just never found Miss Wonderful, did you? He said, yep. I said, you did? He said, yep. All of a sudden, it looked like it just melted. He said, I was the most beautiful girl. I loved that girl, and she loved me. And really, we wanted to get married. I couldn't believe what he was saying. And he said, but you see, you got to understand, her people had money, lots of money. And we were the exact opposite. We were on the other side of the tracks. We were poor as Job's turkey. I mean, we were poor. And he said, when her mother found out, when her mother found out that we had a liking for each other, she said, no way, no way, no way, no way will you ever, we'll see to it, you never, and said, they broke us up. And he said, I went out yonder onto a lonely hill and I set that 22 rifle down with the butt right on the ground, and I put the end of it right here to my temple, and I reached down with my thumb, and I laid my thumb on the trigger. And then he looked up and said, I've wished a thousand times I'd have pulled that trigger. And I thought to myself, if he'd only shut the door, he didn't have to live a lonely, miserable, dejected, sour life, bitter life. If it only should look, young fellas, there's more than one girl in the world. Amen. You get all bent out of shape over some female you think's the grandest thing since orange juice, and, and, and for whatever reason you don't get her, and you think you've got to crawl off in a hole and die. Hey, if God, I don't care how much you thought she was the perfect will of God for you. If God closes that door, you, she was not the perfect will of God for you. And there's other women and young ladies. Did Young ladies, you lose Prince Charming. Did it ever dawn on you that God just could be protecting you from something. Amen. Uh, my pastor used to tell about a fellow that went to the uh, mental institute to visit somebody, and he was walking down the, the hall there, and some people in pretty bad shape mentally, and they passed a sale, and there was a fellow standing there uh, with both hands on the, on the bars, and he was staring straight ahead. His eyes didn't move as, as you walked by, and here's what he was saying. Lulu, Lulu. Lulu. And the pastor said, what's his deal? He said, well, you wouldn't believe it. When he was a young man, he fell in love with a girl named Lulu. And just before he could marry her, somebody with more looks, more money, more brains, and uh, came and swept Lulu off her feet. And, and instead of going on in life, he never got over it. 
And he kept, and he kept living with it until he drove him crazy. And he'd been standing here for years saying, Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. Well, they walked on a little bit further. There was a guy, sure enough, in a bad shape. He was down on the floor. His hair was in his eyes. Slava running out of the corner of his mouth. His eyes didn't even focus. And he was looking up saying, Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. And the pastor chuckled and said to the guard, well, I guess he lost Lulu too. He said, oh, no, he didn't lose Lulu. He's the one that got Lulu. <laughs> He's in a worse shape than the one that lost Lulu. Hey, it could be that God is trying to protect you from something, young lady. It's time to shut the door and go on in life. Shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. On some horrible things people do to you. Wait a minute. Are you ready for this one? Get ready now. If the first two didn't get you, this will nail you. Do you need to shut the door? on some horrible things that people have done to people that you loved. Hmm? How about that? Let me tell you something, friend. <clears throat> I don't mean to sound pious, and I've really never had a time to test this, but I've, I've often rehearsed it in my mind. And I, I don't mean to sound pharisaical when I say this, but I honestly believe if there's some man in this room that didn't like something I said tonight, and he were to politely get up out of his seat, make his way up here with all of us wondering what he was up to, and draw back and knock me down on this platform, I honestly believe God would give me the grace to get up, wipe the blood off, and go on and preach. But if that same man were to come from the back and stop down there with that lady sitting beside of uh, lost year where are you? Uh, yeah, over here. Uh, and, and stop beside your pastor's wife and reach over there and get that lady with that tan top and black blouse on and jerk her out and knock her down. Right there, boys, where the climate changes. Right there's where everything gets different. Real fast. Right there's where somebody's going to have to tend to this bald-headed preacher. Now, I guarantee you, bud. Amen. Somebody better be holding me. I come climbing his carcass like a monkey climbing a telephone pole. Oh, yes. When you start hurting people I love, when you start hurting my little children or my wife, when you start hurting my little grandchildren, right there is where the climate changes. I was preaching in a New England state. And, uh, well, I'll tell that another time. But anyway, I'm just saying, I've got, I've got so much to preach, I don't have time to, to, to get at it. But, hey, let me show you something in the Bible that'll change your life. This will change your life. You can jot the references down. I'll probably be gone before you get there. But in 2 Samuel 17, 23, listen to what it says. 2 Samuel 17, 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and rode and got him to his house and to his city and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Now, I've read that verse many, many times. And for the life of me, I could not understand it. Ahithophel was the right-hand man and chief counselor of King David. His wisdom was so great that David would go to him when he was going into a battle, and Ahithophel would counsel him. And his word was, they called it as the oracle of God. The word oracle means word. It was just like you were inquiring from God. It was just like God was almost speaking out loud to you. That's how wise he was in knowing the different maneuvers. And he was so loyal to King David. I mean, he nearly worshipped the ground that King David walked on. But in the middle of all of that, he defected, ran away, and took up with David's worst enemy, which happened to be at that time Absalom, who had run his daddy off the throne and was trying to kill him. And Ahithophel joined David's son, who was his worst enemy, and began to plot to kill David. And so 
when he, he came up with a plot, it was a good, pretty good plan, but Absalom had another counselor, and the other counselor offered a plan that, a half, that Absalom liked better. So they didn't follow the Ahithophel, and Ahithophel killed himself. And I've read that and read that, and I thought, man, it's bad when somebody else gets your job, but to kill yourself over it didn't make sense. And then I discovered the reason in the Bible. So this is a half a fail. The second verse is the last part of chapter 23, same book, verse 34. And here's what it says. Listen carefully. The last part of the verse says, Eliam, the son of Ahathophel, the Gileonite. Now, wait a minute. Ahathophel's got a son. The son's name is what? Eliam. You say, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Hold on, you'll find out. All right, now we go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we have the account of David's great sin with Bathsheba. And I want you to notice this verse. When David sent after that woman to commit that horrible and atrocious sin, the Bible says in verse number 3, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and someone said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of who? Eliam? What's he going after her for? Why does he want that woman? Don't he know? That this Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, who happens to be the son of who? Ahithophel. Do you get it? Ahithophel watched the man he nearly worshipped murder his granddaughter's husband and take her for himself. And we read in Psalms 51 that David got right that right with God, but he never said a word to Ahithophel. And he never said a word about it to Absalom either. That's why Absalom turned rebellious as the devil with horns on and tried to kill his own dead, which led to his death too. It's not just being right with God, folks. It's being right with our fellow man. And the Lord said, you come to the altar to offer your gift, and you see that your brother hath ought against you. You go to your brother, and you make it right. And let's get it fixed with each other. Amen. I'm talking about, I ain't talking about just somebody you could. Y don't, I don't think you ought to confess your sins to everybody. Just the people that's offended, the people that's involved with it. Amen. Here was Ahithophel. He watched David murder his granddaughter's husband. He knew what he had done. He saw what he had done. And cover it up so he could take Bathsheba to be his wife. And it ate on him and ate on him and ate on him until he finally ran away and joined a plan to murder David over what he had done. And that bitterness had grown and grown and grown until when he couldn't be the one to draw the bow and kill David, he killed himself. Bitterness is a poison that you take in hopes that it will kill your enemy. Bitterness is a poison that you take in hopes that it will kill your enemy. Uh, every year, Jack Lowe came to our church. He's in heaven now. He was not a preacher, never preached a sermon in his life. But he just would come to our church and give his testimony. 
And we had him come every year to give the exact same testimony. And every year we had people saved. And every year we had people blessed. And every year we had people dedicate their lives to the Lord. And he came. And he didn't give the testimony in preaching for him. He just got up and told the story. And I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I'm going to give you the synopsis of it. Jack said, when I was a little boy, five years old, my daddy died. He said, I didn't go to school, so I didn't have any school friends, and I didn't have a brother or sister. So he said, all that I had in this world was my mother. And he always said, you know, when you're a child, you don't ever consider whether your mother is an ugly woman or a pretty woman. But he said, the older I got, the more I realized that my mother, still in her 20s, was a most beautiful lady. And because she was a most beautiful lady, he said it wasn't long after my daddy died that a man started uh, applying for my mother's attention. And my mother abruptly, quickly and abruptly, rejected him for two reasons. Number one, she was still grieving over her husband. And number two, she knew too much about this fellow. She knew that worse she'd ever get married, it wouldn't be him or the likes of him. But he kept pursuing and kept pursuing and kept pursuing until finally she had to be very abrupt with him. And he said, I'll never forget, we were up, at, just cross state line up there in Virginia picking blackberries. And he said, I had my little pail and it was just me and mama. He said, that's all there was in this world for me is just me and mama. Daddy was gone. No brothers, no sisters, no friends, no school, no nothing, just me and Mama. And he said, we were picking blackberries and said, Mama had her pail about full. And I said, I was about that far from the top. And she said, son, I see some more blackberries right up the, the bank of this old wagon road there. I said, I see some more blackberries. But uh, she said, I, 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 we can get them, but we can't go through the briars because we tear our clothes. And besides that... Um, <laughs> It was copperheads and rattlesnakes. You never know what's in. And so she said, let's get down on the wagon road. We'll walk up. So he said, my mother reached and got my hand and said she lifted me down off the bank and said when she did, eight feet away, about as close as from here to that pulpit, about, about this close, a man stepped out from in an evergreen bush and raised a double-barrel shotgun and pulled both triggers right into my mother's stomach. He said, she, he said, he cut my mother half in two. She was dead when she hit the ground. And he said, I, I dropped down on her. And he said, the blood is running all over me and her. And he said, of course, the man fled. And he said, I, I said, Mama, Mama, I'll kill him. I'll get him, Mama. I promise I'll get him. It was the last thing I do, Mama. Little five-year-old boy there sobbing and watching his mother die. And, and, and then the story starts of how that bitterness began to boil. Grow. I don't have time, and really you wouldn't want to hear how he exhausted all of his health and life and mind and soul and body in bitterness, hating that man. He said, when I heard they gave him life in prison instead of the chair, it tickled me. I didn't want him to kill him. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to. He said, I, I, I dream. He said, I loaded and unloaded a 38 a thousand times, dreaming of the day when I could pull that uh, trigger and take out of this world the man who took away from me everything in this world that I had. And he said, I, but, but they said, Jack Lowe, we know who you are. You'll never see that man. He's behind those walls. He'll live and die there, and you'll never see him because we know your name is Jack Lowe, and we know who your mother was, and you forget it. And 
I wish I had time to tell you what brought him to salvation. He was on the operating table. They were getting ready to sedate him. And he looked up. And God reached down, way down, and saved him. Oh, I, I, I wish I could tell you all about it. But, but I don't have time. But then he said, for the first time in my life, I wanted to get behind those walls for a reason I'd never had before in my life. I wanted to talk to the man that murdered my mother. And pastors and workers began to help him and work with him and contact officials and everything to convince them, look, he's safe. It, it'll answer something in his life if you can let him see the man that killed his mother. And I won't go into all the detail of arrangements, but he said, I'll never forget hearing him tell. He said, the day we walked in that prison, and he said the, the guard was with me. And he said those big old hydraulic doors opened and the clang and the echo of all up and down those old concrete halls and floors. And then the big hydraulic door climbed, uh, closed behind and said we walked alone. And then we went out in the courtyard area. And he said as we were walking along, there was an old man. And he was bent down over some, I said it was a long rock wall, like between, far from here to those other microphones, and, and said there was beautiful flowers, and there was an old man bent over tending to these flowers. And the guard says, stop right here. He said, you see that man? He said, yes, sir. He said, that's the man that killed your mother. Jack said, I said to the guard, can I talk to him? He said, as long as, you, long as I'm with you. He said he walked down and he said, sir, you got some pretty flowers here. He said, thank you, sir. They, they let me do this. And I, I, you know, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And I love this. Every spring I get to plant these flowers. He said, you got a minute we can talk? He said, sure. He said, could, could we sit down right here on the bench? He said, sure. He said, there was a bench there. He said, we went over and sat down. He said, I had not sat down until I looked him square in the eye and said, my name is Jack Lowe. They said you could... He said you could see it when it hit him who he's talking to. And here's what he did. Oh. He said, sir, do you see that hand right there? He said, yes, sir. He said, you're looking at a hand that loaded and unloaded a 38 a thousand times. Dreaming of the day when I could get behind these walls and keep, I was glad they didn't execute you. I wanted to do it. And I, a, a thousand times I've hated you until I've destroyed my body and my health. But he said, what do you see in that hand right now? And the old man looked and he said, well, it looks like a little Bible. He said, it is. And I've come in here not to kill you, but I've come in here to tell you the most wonderful story anybody ever heard in this world. And he told him how he got saved. And he told him how God took all that hate and bitterness out of his heart. And God fleshed all that pus and poison out. And God filled him with his love. And he said, I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to tell you, you can have what I've got. And won the old man to God. Won him to God. Would you believe later they paroled him? And when they paroled him, Jack Lowe took that man into his own home and took care of him until they could find a place for him to live. One of the greatest stories of love and forgiveness you ever heard in your life because one man shut the door, shut the door. I'm talking about just go over and shut the door. I'm speaking to people all over this room. You need to shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. You know... I love to read Civil War history, and I'm going to let you guess on which side I show up on. I'll just let you guess about that. But, 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 but there's a story. There's a story that both North and South can appreciate equally. There's a story that don't start a dissension about the matter, and you're going to like it. A true story. After a great battle of the Union and Confederate armies where hundreds of people died, 
General Lee was riding Traveler, his horse, right down through the whole carnage that had happened the day before. It had been a terrible battle. He came to a big old house. That house was, you could see daylight through it, cannonballs. It was right in the line of fire. We had, we had the Confederate Army up here on the hill and the Union Army down here, and they had shot cannonballs through that house. Musket balls until it looked like it had the measles. It was just, it was eat up. And there was a big old oak tree in the front yard, a big old oak tree. Stood there over a hundred years probably. And, and they had shot through that tree until those limbs were chewed up and gnarly and just hanging. Well, about time he got to the house, a lady stepped out on the porch. She recognized General Lee. Oh, General Lee, General Lee. She came nigh unto worshiping him. General Lee. And then she broke out into a barrage of things that she thought he would like to hear. General Lee, look what those Yankees done. We can't live in this house. They, they've shot my house all up. They come through here and they, they, they take our chickens. They take our cattle. And, and, General, and General Lee, you never let them do that. You wouldn't let them forage. Would they just come through and take what they want and leave us with nothing. And then they kill our sons and they kill our brothers and they kill our parents. General Lee, what? And look at that tree, General Lee. What, what do you do with something like that? My great-grandfather planted that tree and my father swung on it. And when I was a little girl, I swung on it. Look at it. General Lee, you know that tree's going to die. What do you do with something like that? And General Lee's riding Traveler around the tree, looking up. Hadn't said a word. She hadn't given him a chance to say anything. And, and he was in the tree. She said, General Lee, what would you do? What do you do about something like What do you do? And he started riding off down the trail. When she realized that he was leaving, she said, General Lee, General Lee, you never told me what you do about the tree. He said, whoa, traveler. And he turned and said, lady, if I were you, I'd just cut it down and forget it. And I'm speaking to people all over this room that just need to cut some junk down and forget it. I'm not going to fight a war that ended over 150 years ago. And some of you are fighting battles in your life that you should have ended years ago. Just cut it down and forget it. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the, run over. Somebody, I feel a draft. Somebody's left the door up. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know how they treated me. Yeah, I know. I know. I was reading here this little thing I saw somewhere, and I took it and improvised it a little bit. People can be unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do something for God, people will often be jealous and pick you to pieces. Do something for God anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies. Be a success anyway. If you open up your heart and wallet, and give when people are down. If you walk halls when they're having their babies and hear their cries when they're hurting, if you help them when their marriage is about to split up, and we pastors, we've all been through that, those same people will walk out of your life without a warning, a reason, or an explanation. Walk those halls anyway. Love those people anyway. Help them with their marriages anyway. If you give this world the best you've got, it will never be enough. But give this world the best you've got anyway. And I love this. Listen, you see in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. I love it. It was never between you and them anyway. 
When I preached my wolf sermon, I, had a, I was preaching in the National Sword Conference, and a lady came up to me. She said, I'm a pastor's wife, and we've been in the ministry 20, 30 years. She said, we were in a church where we won those people to God. She said, we opened our wallet when we didn't have money and bought them groceries. We helped them with their marriages. When their young, when their babies died, we were there and wept and hugged them and loved them and said, uh, when their old died, we loved them as though they were our own parents. She said, but we saw those same people knife us in the back. We saw those same people treat us as though we, and they walked out of our life as though we never existed and never looked back. She said, I wasn't mad then, and I'm not mad now. She said, I wasn't bitter then, and I'm not bitter now. But she said, Pastor Brown, it has done something to me I can't get over. The spark of, of, of warmth and fervency to love and serve the Lord is gone. And I, I, I still do it. I still go on visitation. I'm still faithful to church. I still work the bus route. But something has died inside of me that has never lived again. Life gets tough. You're not the only person who ever had a spouse turn their back and walk out of your life. You're not the only person who ever went out and buried a spouse. My wife and I both have, and multitudes of you have here. You're not the only person who ever lost a child. You're not the only person that ever went out yonder to a graveyard and buried your soul and heart in the ground. No. But we need to shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. On things that people have done to people that you love. And if you don't do it, you will never have that radiance and joy. All the wonderful spirit-filled people that I've ever known in my life, all the people that I ever knew that were greatly used of the Lord, that was a conduit of love and blessing and radiance, without fail, every single one of them has had to shut the door on a horrible situation. Either something they did or something somebody did to them, or something somebody did to somebody that they loved. You'll never sing in this choir. I, I've, I've, we walk in and out of churches like you walking in and out of rooms in your house. I've sat on pews, my wife and I, and, and, and I'll say, look at that fellow on the back row back there. Man, he, he ain't putting on a show for nobody. He's just full of it. I mean, he's just glowing. And, then my, and, and I'll say, look at that lady on the front row there. And I mean, she's singing. She, there's no fake. There's no veneer. But you can see Jesus in your, in your life. And you're just coming forth and almost without fail. She's had to shut the door on something somewhere. She's had to shut the door. You'll never be used of God. You'll never be a radiant blessing to other people. You'll never be that conduit of blessing. I love the verse, Psalms 84, 6 says, Blessed is he that passeth through the valley of Baca, make it a well. I was shocked when I studied and found out there was not and never has been a valley on planet Earth named the valley of Baca. And then I looked in the center margin and it said the valley of Baca. Any place of weeping and tears. Blessed is the man that passeth through the valley of Baca. And instead of making it a poison pool of bitterness, many a woman, and you know, you know what we do? You know what we do when we get hurt? We either shut the door or we punish and poison all the people that didn't hurt us. 
Yeah, that's what we do. We either shut the door or we poison and punish all the people that did not hurt us. And uh, blessed is he that passeth through the valley of Baca. I, I heard I, 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 Dr. Charlie Waggle for years. They, they named the Waggle Music Center at Tennessee Temple College after him. And he was not only a genius in music, but most people didn't realize what a powerful preacher he was. He helped some of the greatest revivals in the country. And um, he was, had some revivals lined up. And his wife came in a shocking announcement, told him, said, I didn't marry a preacher and I'm not going to live with a preacher. And she left him. And I heard Charlie Waggle's testimony. He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, I thought, well, I'll just cancel my meetings. Who wants to hear a preacher whose own wife won't even live with him? I don't, what do I have to say to others? But it seemed like the Holy Spirit said, now you've got these meetings, go on and hold them. And he said, we had some of the greatest meetings and people saved that I never had. Well, of course he did. He was a broken man. He was a, he was a man that had died. And I'll never forget hearing him say, I walked in and I sat down at the piano. He was good at music. And he said, I looked down and stared at the keys. But he said, a song would not come. And he said, I just looked up with a broken heart and I said, Lord, no one ever cared for me like you. And he dropped his head. And within 20 minutes, he had written that immortal song. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend can do. Oh, how much he cared for me. And God gave the world that beautiful song because one man just shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. Joseph Scriven. Across a body of water, saw his fiancée. He was to get married, I think, the next day. I can't guarantee that part, but they were engaged. And she came along with her horse, and she fell off the horse in the water. He couldn't get to her in time, and she drowned. Later, he went to Port Royal, Canada. And in Canada, after a long period of time, he, he, was, he, he was in love with another girl. But before he could marry her, she took sick and died. They said that when that happened... Joseph Scriven would give away his necessary food. They said he'd take clothes off his body. He needed to stay warm and give it to others. He just, he, he just turned out with giving, giving, giving himself and love. And then he got sick. And a friend came to see him. He wasn't on his deathbed. He was just sick. And a friend came to see him, and Joseph was laying there in bed, and he was talking to him, comforting him a little bit, and he looked on the end table there, and it was a piece of paper. He picked it up. It was a poem. He said, Joseph, who wrote this poem? He said, oh, God, and I wrote it last night. He said, I didn't intend for anybody to see it. He said, my mother's been sick. He said, I wrote it for my mother. I thought maybe it'd be a help to her. I wanted to encourage my mother. So I wrote that poem. And the man looked at it. And do you know what was written on that paper that he wrote the night before that he never intended for anybody to see? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to And God gave, the, God put you to sing in all your life that beautiful song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because one man shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, shut the door. I feel a draft. Somebody's left a door open somewhere or a window. I feel a draft. And it's time somebody shut a door.
Um, a little baby was born. And when that baby was born, not long after it was born, it had a little problem. And a well-meaning family country doctor came and took care of her and accidentally put the wrong thing in her eyes. And the little thing was blinded. And though she lived to be in her 70s, she never saw the light of day from that moment on. But when that little girl was only eight years old, she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world continued I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Oh, by the way, for your information, she also wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She also wrote, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. She also wrote, Saved by grace. She also wrote, I shall know him, I shall know him. She also wrote, safe in the arms of Jesus. She also wrote, Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling thee home, calling thee. She also wrote, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. She also wrote, pass me not, O gentle say, and 8,000 other songs and hymns many of which you've never heard of, and her name was Fanny Crosby, and she set born-again Christians to sing it for generations all over this world because as a little girl, she shut the door, shut the door, shut the door, and I feel a draft somewhere in here, a draft. Did you know the things that have happened to you didn't happen for your bad, they happened for your good, no matter how bad they were. They were not for your bad, they were for your good. For with this we know that all things work together for good, but you don't let them work together for good. You won't allow God to work in your life. You won't allow God to work out the things to glorify himself and pour himself through you because you won't shut the door. Only God knows what you've missed in life. Only God knows what you could have had if you could have called and laid it on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon it. Only God knows. Only God knows. You need to shut the door on some horrible things you've done. And you need to shut the door on some horrible things people have done to you. And you need to shut the door on some horrible things that people have done to people that you loved. And last but not least, you need to shut the door just so you can be saved. I walked in a Waffle House with my wife. It hadn't been all that long ago. And I pass out tracts. Everywhere I go, I pass out tracts. I got tracts here, and I, I just pass them out. And I, I had a man sitting over here, a uh, 50-ish man. I said, sir, let me give you something to read, a little gospel tract here. Tell you how to go to heaven when you die. He looked up and said, I cannot be saved. I said, what makes you think so? He said, because I hate the man that killed my daughter. I said, really? He said, yeah. I told my wife to go ahead with the breakfast. I said, I'm going to talk to this man. I said, would you mind if I sat down? He said, sure. I sat down. The situation was, he had a daughter that was uh, diabetic and had to have medication. And she joined a church of the variety that didn't believe in any medication and doctors, but believed in trusting only God to heal them. And he said, my daughter needed medication, and she was having seizures, and he would not allow her to have medicine, and she died. And he said, my wife divorced me because I wouldn't kill him. And he said, maybe I should have. But he said, I, somebody like me can't get saved. 
You can't get saved with that much hate in your heart. I sat down and began to talk to that man. And I won't tell you all the things that I told him, but it summed up this. Sir, you need to shut the door. You need to shut the door, shut the door. But he said, I can't be saved. I said, I think you can. You're going to have to shut the door. I said, I'm going to go over here and eat my breakfast. I want you to take his track and think about what I said. He said, fine. I went over to eating breakfast, and I heard, I heard that man say, oh, God, oh, God, forgive me. I said, stay right here, honey. I walked over to the booth. I said, can I sit down again? He said, yes. I said, sir, sounds like maybe you're ready to be saved. He said, I just got saved right here. I just asked God. I said, I just knew I couldn't go any longer. And he didn't use the phrase, shut the door, because he'd never heard this sermon, but that's what he did. He just shut the door on it. I don't know what's come crawling out of your past tonight. I don't know what's come up in your mind since I've been preaching. We all have our stories to tell. Most of us don't tell our stories, and for most of us, it wouldn't be appropriate to tell our stories, because it's something only God can help anyway. And it wouldn't help to burden other people. Sometimes you should tell your story, and sometimes you need to go get some help, and sometimes you need somebody to pray with you. And I agree with that. But I'm talking to people all over this room, all in the balcony from this corner, all the way to this corner, and all the way across. There's no telling how many people in that balcony. They just need to shut the door tonight. Shut the door. Shut the door. I feel a draft. Somebody's left the door open. And tonight, it's time for you to shut the door.